0: If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke 24, last chapter in the book of Luke. We've been here in the book for a while. We'll be in chapter 24 for probably about four weeks. Um, so by November, Lord willing, we will have completed our study in the book of Luke. Um, so this morning we're going to look at the resurrection account from Luke 24. Um, It's good to, as I said at the beginning, to remember the resurrection, not just on Easter, but year-round, because it's such an important truth that we need to hear. I think need is the right word. We need the resurrection. We often talk about needing things. You know, I need a vacation. Uh, I needed that reminder. Um, I needed to go visit the doctor. That was good for me. And often we don't really know what we need until we get it. It's sort of in hindsight we say, ah, oh, man, I really needed that. And so as we think about these first witnesses, which is where we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, Jesus does not show up in these passages. The resurrected Christ is nowhere to be seen in verses 1 through 12. He'll be around later, but for now we're just going to look at the response of his followers to him there. But as we think about these first witnesses and how they respond, to Christ. And then we're going to think about our response. This is kind of how I want to summarize it with this phrase or sentence. The resurrection is something that none of us would expect, just like none of them expected. It's something that none of us would expect, but it's what every one of us needs. Um, The resurrection is something that none of us would expect, but it is what every one of us needs. So I'm not sure what you came to church expecting to hear this morning, Um, but this is what you need to hear. We all need to hear about the resurrection, that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's our hope. It's our only hope of forgiveness, of salvation, of life after death, and of new life even now. So let's read Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, verse 1, Luke begins, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So this idea of the resurrection is something none of us would expect, but it's what every one of us needs. We're going to break this passage down just into four different parts, so I'll preview them here. We'll think about what the women found, what the angels said, what the disciples thought, and what Peter needed. So we'll think first about what the women found. The events of Luke 24 actually occur within a 24-hour period, as, as Luke writes it. And they begin here at the break of dawn on the first day of the week. So just remembering what has happened up to this point. You remember that Jesus was crucified. He was placed into the tomb on a Friday just before sundown. Um, the next day, Saturday, was the Sabbath, and we're told that the women had prepared spices, but in observance of the Sabbath, they did not go and visit the tomb. They were resting in obedience to the law. And and then so now this is the, the first day of the week. It's it's Sunday. Um, we should note in passing that we are meeting on Sunday because of this. So the events that happened today are so significant that devout Jewish people would change the day that they met. This remember they had just observed the commandment; had not gone to see Jesus. They were observing the Sabbath that strictly. But it comes to the point that Jesus has transformed everything so much. This kind of reminds me of our Sunday school discussion. He's transformed everything so much that they move the Sabbath from Saturday and their day of worship becomes Sunday. So what's going to happen today is is amazing. Uh, The women head to the tomb. They go early before the sun had risen, it says, at early dawn. Uh, Sunday had officially begun, remember the way they count days, it had officially begun with the setting of the sun the previous day. But they are forced to wait until the rising of the sun before they can go to the tomb, which is amazingly ironic that they must wait for the rising of the sun to go to the tomb. They had with them the spices that they had prepared. You remember reading about that? They were preparing these spices to properly marry Jesus. And Mark tells us that as they went, they were expecting to find the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Um, They would find that stone there at the entrance and they weren't sure how they were going to move it. So as they're walking to the tomb, it's clear that they're they're going and they're not expecting to find a resurrected Jesus. I've seen some recent film adaptations of the life of Jesus. And in this period where Jesus is in the tomb, they put some words into the mouths of the disciples and the women that seem to indicate that they are looking for the resurrection, that they remember that Jesus had said three days later he's going to rise. That's what they hint at, but in the Gospels, the writers hint at the exact opposite, that they had no expectation of Jesus rising from the dead. These women, as they trek to the tomb in these early hours, fully expect to find a closed tomb, that contains the body of Jesus. That's exactly what they're looking for. But verse verses 2 and 3 tell us that instead, what did they find? They found an open tomb, and that when they went in, they didn't find the body of Jesus. So they didn't find what they were looking for. They were expecting a closed tomb with the body of Jesus. They find an open tomb and no body. So this large stone that had been placed there, it would have kept the smell in and it would have kept animals and grave robbers out this huge stone is rolled away and their lord is gone it says here that that they are perplexed about this they were puzzled they they were wondering about what this is i mean can you imagine can you imagine going to a graveyard to see someone that has just passed away and there's no body there's a hole in the ground and there's the the coffin is gone or if they were in something else that the body is not there can you imagine what you would be thinking what's going on I don't know how long they were kept in this state maybe long enough to think of some explanations and I think all of their explanations would have involved the Romans or the Jewish leaders stealing the body or desecrating the body or doing something to the body of Jesus they have no idea what to think then they find something else that they hadn't expected it's two men in dazzling apparel now these were not just some sharp-dressed guys that happened to be in the garden that morning. These are angels. And the women respond as everyone does to angels. They bowed down to them and they were frightened. So we think about the women that were there that, that first morning and we, we see that when they come, it's it's not at all what they expected. They expected to find A stone, they expected that they would find the lifeless body of Jesus, and instead they find the stone rolled away, they find no body, and they meet two angels. It's often that when we come to Jesus, we think we know what to expect. We think we know what's going to happen. Maybe you've come with preconceived ideas about who Jesus is and how he acts in the world. Just know that usually our expectations are shattered. So we see first what the women found. Notice next then what the angels said. These angels um, show up there in verse 4. And then in verse 5, as the women are on the ground, they say some words to them. The angels ask the women a great question. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? To which I think the women would have responded, we're not looking for the living among the dead. (laughs) We're looking for the dead among the dead. That's why we're here. Can't you tell we have all these spices for his body? Our eyes are red because we've been weeping for the past three days because our Lord is, is dead. We're we're not looking for the living. We're looking for the dead, among the dead. But the angels in their question have revealed something, haven't they? It's that Jesus is living. And they make it crystal clear in the next phrase, He is not here, but has risen. The angels here are the first witnesses, the first to announce the resurrection of Jesus. Think about the book of Luke as a whole. He's drawing things to a close and he's he's bookending things, isn't he? How did the book of Luke start? Angels all over the place showing up announcing the birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist. They come to Mary. They come to Zechariah. And here at the end, we see the angels showing up again. They're the first witnesses here. They, they show up um, to announce the birth of Jesus to some unlikely shepherds, and now they show up to announce the resurrection of Jesus to some unlikely women. This is how God works. They are the first witnesses these angels put forth by Luke to tell us about the truth of the resurrection. And just as everything that they said to Zechariah and to Mary and to the shepherds, all of that was true, so also when they say, he is not here, he has risen, we can trust that that testimony is true. I assume the women are still in shock at this point, though. They're, they're looking up from the ground. And they have no idea still what to think. They're, they're, they're frightened. And the angels say to them, Don't you remember? They, they say, Remember the words of Jesus. And they say, When he was in Galilee, he told you all of this was going to happen. Why, why are you guys so surprised? He told you this was going to happen. And and he had in, in Luke 9, 21 and 22, just after Peter had made his great confession that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus then says, it says that Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You can't get much clearer than that, can you? That's what Jesus said. But they did not understand it. I don't know if they assumed that the death and the resurrection were somehow metaphorical or spiritual rather than than physical, but they didn't get it. And now, though, the angels lead them into truth. They say, don't you remember? And it says there in verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remembered. The angels helped them recall and remember what Christ had said. I think there's a great principle here for us. Uh, As Christians, I think often we're trying to find some new and revolutionary truth. Something that's going to transform everything for us and and surely we need to always be growing in our knowledge and, and learning but I think in the everyday Christian life we just need to remember what Jesus has said um, so often we're looking for other things we're trying to figure things out on our own and surely that's what the disciples and the women are trying to do and if they just would remember what Jesus had said it would all be very clear I mean this in the Old Testament isn't this Israel's constant issue? that they forget who God is and what he's done. And that leads to so many problems. So God actually gives them all of these days and these practices. He gives them temples. He gives them tabernacles. He gives them laws. He gives them all these wonderful things to remind them of who he is and what he has done. But they still forget. And often they forget because they don't do all of these things that God has told them to do so that they would remember. And here we see this principle that God... God gives the women the angels to remind them, to recall his teaching. Jesus is going to do the exact same thing on the, road to, Emmaus, on the a road to Emmaus in the next section of this chapter. So the the angels, as it were, sort of rebuke the women and say, don't you remember? And, and in the next section, Jesus is going to say, haven't you read the, in the prophets that this is what was supposed to happen? And so there's these people leading them into truth. And I think about, too, in John 14. Where Jesus says that the Spirit, after He goes, is going for the disciples. He's going to bring to remembrance everything that He said, and then in Luke 16, there's this promise that He's going to leave the Holy Spirit for those who believe in Him. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit, the role of the Spirit, the the role of the Scriptures are to remind us of what is true. That we would recall these things, and just as these women. Need to recall and remembering this, this core teaching. I just think we need to pause and say, it's what we have to do as followers of Christ. We've got to remember the gospel. We need to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So, how do we do that? It's so simple, isn't it? Just like God had given all these things they're supposed to do, and maybe they neglected them, and that's why they forgot so to The things that we know that we're supposed to do. We need to read the Scriptures. We need to read them over and over again so we don't forget its message. It's not changing. It's it's one book, but it's the same message and we need to be reminded over and over again. We need to memorize and meditate on God's Word. We need it to surround us, as the Old Testament says, in maybe a symbolic way, but also in a tangible way. Why does God's Word not surround us? Shouldn't it be um, on our walls and in our cars and on our computer screens? We're always reminding us of the truth because we, we just forget I don't know about you, I forget things all the time. I forget things going from one room to the next, right? I don't have stairs. When I was a kid, I always forgot when I went up the stairs why I went up the stairs, and then I'd come back down and remember. But luckily, I don't have to worry about that. But we need to remember because we're so forgetful. We need music. I love the gift of music. Don't we need music to tell us what's true? We need songs that get stuck in our head and remind us that we're children of God because we forget that. We need to sing songs to one another. We need to remind each other every Sunday that the gospel is the melody of our lives. That this is what's true for us. We need to be in church. We don't come to church once. Why? Because we forget. We need to be in church. We need to hear the word proclaimed week after week. We need to pray prayers together. We need to hear God's word preached. No, I think we could get to the end of the of Luke here, and we could go back to Luke chapter one preach through the whole thing again and we would need to hear every single message one more time because I preached them and I forgot half of them we got to remember what God has told us and so we need to hear God's word proclaimed we need to hear the truths of scripture readings we need to take the Lord's supper why does Jesus tell us to do that in remembrance of me because we forget we forget that he died we need to celebrate holidays that remind us of the truth and bring it to mind. We need to be in small groups and discipleship relationships reminding one another, making phone calls. We need to tell the truth to our children. We need to tell them to our friends and to our spouses. We've got to remind each other because we forget. And we can't forget. So we have to remember. Well, So here's the women and all the words of Jesus sort of flood back into their minds. I mean, they had had been in such a state up to this point and now they're reminded of what Jesus had had said and they believe and when you hear unbelievable life changing things what do you do you go and tell other people and so they run and they, they go to the disciples it says in verse 9 returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven remember Judas is no longer there and to all the rest so we'll consider third what the disciples thought what the disciples thought. They run back. The disciples were told had fearfully locked themselves in the upper room. They were scared of the Jewish authorities. And suddenly these women bust into the room. They come in and they tell them everything that had happened. So the eleven are there as well as others who were followers of Jesus. Luke then gives us some of the names of these women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and some others who, who aren't named. These women were not only the faithful ones who stayed by the cross, they were not only the faithful ones who were there and witnessed the burial, but they are the ones that showed up on the first resurrection morning and saw the empty tomb. You know, I, I understand the sovereignty of God, but we could say in some sense that if these women had not gone there faithfully to care for the body of Jesus, there would have been no witnesses to the empty tomb. And the angels would have been standing there saying, there's no one to tell the message to, because no one has come. And so they stand again. Remember, they are examples. They are heroes of the faith for us that they have stood here. And we need to know their names. Mary, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. So the disciples hear this message and what does it say? To them it was an idle tale. (laughs) An idle tale. It, It was nonsense. It was a delirious tale. It's like a story that's told by someone who's coming off anesthetic. Have you ever had that? Maybe you've experienced it or you've listened to someone, uh, and they're just sort of talking out of their head. They, you don't take anything that they're saying seriously. If you've never experienced that, you, you need to go on YouTube and watch David after the dentist, because that's a classic YouTube clip, and it's hilarious, and it's this little boy. just He has no idea what he's saying because he's out of his head. That's what the words of these women were like to the disciples. They say, what are you talking about? This is this is complete and utter nonsense. We often don't think about the disciples that way, but that's exactly what the Scriptures say. So as, as one commentator, Daryl Bach, observed, he said the disciples were the first skeptics that had to be convinced. It would be hard to summarize why they didn't believe, but they clearly thought this was nonsense. And pretty soon they're going to have to apologize to the women uh, because they will be convinced, but right now they're not. So let me give you two applications thinking about the skepticism of the disciples. The first one is this. Let's be patient with skeptics. And I'm thinking specifically skeptics of the Christian faith, of the resurrection, of anything in particular. But let's be patient with skeptics. Those who hear the story of Jesus and respond with questions initially are not foolish. They're not evil. They are just like the disciples. And they're just like us, apart from... God's gracious help. Let's pause and remember what we believe, okay? Specifically what we believe about Jesus. Here's what we believe. We believe that a virgin teenager became pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit and that the child that was born to her was God in human form. We believe that that child grew and then performed miracles, lived the perfect life, raised people from the dead, was sinless, was condemned, was crucified, and then we believe that he rose from the dead. Now, I don't say that to shake faith or to make fun of it, because I believe all of that. But I just want us to pause and think, that's what we believe. That's the core of our message. And so when we come to people who maybe have not grown up understanding that, maybe grow up in a, in a culture like ours, where where proof and scientific understanding of things is so prevalent, we should not be surprised if they say, that is crazy. And we should also not be surprised because the gospel is not purely rational, is it? It's something that we receive by faith. It's not a leap of faith. But but at some point, we have to move beyond saying, I have all the evidence, and that's why I believe, to saying, I have really strong evidence. Therefore, I believe. What we believe may seem a little strange. And that's why we're we're people of faith. Russell Moore has written this. He's a very witty guy. He says, We believe a previously dead man is alive and will show up in the eastern skies on a horse. That's what we believe. We believe that the gospel can forgive sinners like us and make us sons and daughters. Let's embrace the sort of freakishness that saves. I like that. And as we embrace that, let's let's be patient. Let's be patient with our friends and with our neighbors who, who struggle with this stuff. Maybe you're here and, and you're not a Christian and you struggle with this stuff. And part of the reason you struggle is because this just seems a little crazy. Now, I would encourage you to keep looking into these things. I promise you the people that believe these things in this room are not crazy, um, even no matter how much you think that they are or that we are. Um, I'd encourage you, especially, look into the resurrection. That that is a key part of our faith, and it is the one of the greatest miracles. The incarnation maybe is is something more amazing to me that God would become human, and it sort of makes the resurrection possible. But the incarnation is hard to investigate. You can investigate the resurrection, the historicity of it, and the the, the evidence for it. And I, pro, I I implore you, I think it will stand firm in the midst of of questions and and more than convincing you of the truth of the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection you need to invest in it because without the resurrection you have no hope of eternal life we are sinners and that's a fact that everyone will accept that we have sinned against God and because of our sin God has condemned us and we need a savior that has risen from the dead or we have no hope so I'd encourage you no matter how skeptical you are it's worth your time It's it's worth investing at least part of your life in trying to figure out if this is true, because if 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 God brings you to understand the truth of it, it will change your life. You know, maybe you struggle with this, and you're a Christian. There are some people who never do. They they come, they're given a measure of faith for some reason that they receive the truth of who Jesus is, and they they hold it firmly throughout their whole lives. But others of us wrestle at times, and I say us because I do too, it's, it's hard sometimes. You, look, you take a step back and say, okay, do I really believe this? And the worst thing that we could do to ourselves or to individuals in that circumstance is to kind of suppress those struggles or to think that investigating the claims of Christianity is some sort of lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith to try to understand the truthfulness of what Scripture says. The worst thing that we could do as a church is to, is to squash people that have honest questions about the core truths of Christianity. That would be foolish. And so I just want to say it out loud. I, I would invite any and all of us into a dialogue, into talking about these things, about what the core truths of Christianity are. We should never shy away from this because I believe that Christianity will stand firm and the truth of the resurrection will come out on top no matter how much we investigate it, if we come to it honestly with eyes of faith. So in fact, I think the skepticism of the disciples not only calls us to be patient with skeptics, but it should also fill us with confidence. So the second application is let's be filled with confidence. How can the skepticism of the disciples fill us with confidence? Why, why would that fill us with confidence? Let me just read what uh, Robert Stein wrote about this. He says this, Luke possibly was seeking to reassure his readers of the truth and certainty of the things they had been taught, Luke 1.4, by showing that the disciples only believed in the resurrection because of the overwhelming evidence they encountered in the presence of the risen Christ. Thus, the disciples' unbelief becomes an aid to belief for Luke's readers. By magnifying the disciples' incredulity, Luke magnified the miracle. Only the clear, unmistakable appearance of the risen Christ could have overcome such doubt and replaced it with unshakable faith. So so in other words, the complete disbelief of the disciples here and the total belief not long after that tells us that something amazing happened in between there that thoroughly convinced people who were thoroughly unconvinced. And, and, And this is what's going to happen in the coming verses. Jesus is going to appear to the disciples. And so I invite you to come back. And and watch as the the fearful, doubting, skeptical disciples become the the bold, faith-filled, fully convinced disciples. And as we consider these things, I think we'll be filled with, with confidence in the truthfulness of the resurrection. But before Luke goes there, he goes to Peter. And so let's turn to Peter and finally look at what Peter needs. So we've seen what the women found, what the angels said, what the disciples thought, and now what Peter... Needs Peter is found in verse 12 where Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Remember the last time that we saw Peter? What was the last time we saw Peter? It was when Peter was weeping because he had just denied Jesus three times. And now three days later, he's in this room when the women show up and start telling this story. If I use my imagination, I think Peter probably hasn't slept. The last time he slept was when he fell asleep in the garden, if you remember that. That was probably the last time he slept. He's confused. Knowing Peter, he's probably a little angry at himself, maybe angry at Jesus even. He's filled with grief. He doesn't know what to think about all this. Maybe he's sitting in the corner, and the disciples are all there, and the women show up and they, they tell their story, and none of them can make heads or tails of it. Uh, they're sitting there, they, they sit in disbelief, and then they start discussing things. They say, This is impossible. They try to figure out what possibly could have happened. And they say, Well, what does Peter think? And they say, Where is Peter? <laughs> he was here just a second ago. And by that time, Peter is halfway to the tomb. We see that. He just—he takes off. He ran to the tomb. He runs to the tomb. He arrives and, and he sees exactly what the women saw, that, that the stone is rolled away. And he actually goes and he looks in and he sees the linen cloths that are, that are by themselves. They were no longer needed by their previous owner and so he left them there. And, and so Peter becomes a, a witness to the resurrection. One of the first ones to, to see this empty tomb. More than 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 just a, a witness of the resurrection, he is that he sees the empty tomb just as the women on. He stands and reminds us that that is that is true. But I think his running it sort of gives a, a voice to this cry within us that says we need Jesus to not be dead. Just think about what that felt like for these disciples, these people who had followed him, who had invested their lives, in the hope that Jesus was the Messiah. They left everything, Peter says. We left everything, Lord, to follow you. If there's any hope that Jesus is alive, then Peter's going to look into it, because if Jesus is not dead, then neither are his, his hopes that Jesus might be the Messiah. And he might not have wasted the past three years of his life and left everything for no good reason. Jesus might actually still be alive. But only that, I think Peter Peter needs Jesus to be alive because of the last time that he saw him. I mean this, Peter is, is Jesus's friend and Jesus is Peter's master. and the last time that he saw him, that they locked eyes was when Peter denied Jesus for the third time. This is the last memory that he had. Can you imagine? Sometimes I have those circumstances where, I don't know if you've, you've walked out the door, maybe in anger. You've parted with, with a friend or a family member, and there's sort of some sort of strife between you. Sometimes I get in my car and I think, if that's the last words that I say to my children, that would be terrible. <laughs> if, that's, if I die in a car accident, this would be horrible. If that's the last memory that people have of me. And I think Peter has experienced that. The last time that Jesus saw me, I deny him. What would that feel like to his heart? He needs Jesus to be alive because this is haunting him. I think if Jesus had not resurrected, Peter would have been a broken man for the rest of his life. He would have never recovered from this. But he's given the chance to to see Christ, to to know forgiveness once more, to be given the chance to to rise from his failures, to, to follow Christ. He needs Jesus to not be dead. And that's what we need, isn't it? I need Jesus to not be dead. Please, Jesus, He can't be dead. Because if you're dead, I don't have any hope. I need a risen Savior who has defeated death. That's what we need. We need a risen Savior who has defeated death. If He is still dead, then death is still an issue for us. Death sting is still there. And everyone that we know that has died, there is no hope of resurrection. I need a resurrected Savior because death is the final enemy, isn't it? And if, if death isn't defeated, then we have no hope. Like Jake said, Paul says we're of all men to, most to be pitied. We're, we're miserable without this. But I need a I need a risen Savior. Not I, I need a risen Savior who has defeated death. But I also need a risen Savior who offers forgiveness and restoration because I have sinned against Jesus, and I need Christ to be risen to come. And as He does in John twenty one to 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 restore Peter I need the restoration of Jesus we we need that And and I need a risen savior who gives me new life I don't know about you but living the Christian life is, is really hard isn't it I mean it's a, it's a lot easier just to not worry about this stuff And so often I do rely on my own strength and when I do that I fail and if I, I'm because I'm dead in my sins, and if Jesus is dead, then then we're all dead, and I have no hope. But if if Jesus is risen from the dead, I have new life that I can hold on to. I can turn to Jesus and find hope in Him. I don't fully know what all that means, but th- this truth just keeps ringing in my head. It, it just I need Jesus to not be dead. And I feel like that's what, what is in Peter's heart as he's running to the tomb. He's just saying, Don't be dead, Jesus, don't be dead, please. I mean, that's been the cry of his heart for the past three days. He's just saying, This can't be over. This has got to be some sort of a dream. Of course, it wasn't a dream. Jesus really was dead. And when he shows up at the tomb, he probably says, Is this a dream? Are we just imagining things? But it's not. He's risen. So I encourage you to think this week, I'm still trying to meditate on what this means, but why do we need Jesus to not be dead? I, I need Him because I need a risen Savior who's defeated death. I need Him because He's going to offer forgiveness and restoration to me because I've sinned against Him. And I need new life to walk in the way that He's called me to. And I can only have that if Jesus is, is risen from the dead. this is a miracle. It is the miracle. And we need to think about it more, don't we? So we've got three more weeks that we will. and um, We haven't said everything that there is to say about the resurrection, nor will we. But I encourage you to read through the rest of Luke 24, and we'll come back together to think on it some more. Let me close us in prayer. God, we are so thankful that you are not dead, that you are alive and risen forevermore, and that because you are no longer dead, you are alive, you can give us life new life now, resurrection life, the hope of of life in the future, life with you where we will reign with you. But all these thoughts are just swimming around in our heads. Maybe we feel like Mary or Joanna or the disciples or Peter. and We're not totally sure what to do, but we know that Peter walked away marveling. So God, may that maybe just be our response today, that we would walk away marveling that the tomb was empty, that... He is not here because He has risen. So we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. Amen.